This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello? Reverend Johnson, this is Jonathan Master calling. Yes. Is this still a good time for us to have our conversation? Yes, very much so. Make sure to keep listening after the program to find out how to receive a free MP3 download from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. I'm delighted to welcome as our guest today, pastor and author Terry Johnson. Reverend Johnson is the senior minister of Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah, Georgia, and the author of a number of books, including one entitled Catechizing Our Children, which is published by the Banner of Truth Trust. That's what he's agreed to talk with us about today, catechizing children. Reverend Johnson, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. I'm honored to be a part of the discussion. So first I wanted to start with the definition. What does it mean to catechize? Um, it, it really just means to teach. It's, um, you know, it's taken from a Greek word uh, that essentially means um, to instruct or to teach. Um, but usually when we talk about catechism, we're talking about a, a methodology of questions and answers that are memorized. Uh, so when, you know, when the word catechism comes up, that's usually what's in mind, is a question and answer format. So I want to return to that in a moment, but spe- speaking more broadly, it, it, this um, responsibility to teach, can you talk talk us through a little bit of the biblical case for why that is a parent's responsibility, that Christian parents, believing parents, are supposed to teach their children. Can you kind of hit some of the highlights in terms of the biblical evidence for that? Well, I think it has to do with the whole nature of the family. I mean, when you bring children into the world, you're responsible for them. You're responsible for their physical well-being, and you're responsible for their spiritual well-being. I think that's a given. That's a universal. Um, I don't think that there's any question about that at all um from uh from any uh from any perspective um, in 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 terms of even pagans in relation to their creator even if they're not christians or believers they're responsible for the lives that they bring into the world and and so we certainly are and you find like in ephesians 6 there there the apostle paul's instructing fathers to teach their children um you know, Psalm 78 uh, speaks there of the responsibility of parents to teach their children. 78, 1 through 8 is especially strong on this, and it it even teaches us to think multi-generationally, so that the way that we raise our children and instruct our children um, is to be considered in um, a framework of of multiple generations, so that what I do is not just a matter of what impacts me or what impacts my children, but I need to be thinking about the long term, my children, my children's children, my children's children's children, several generations down the line. And I think when we begin to, to look at things that way, we, um, we're we looking at life differently, certainly radically differently than you know a contemporary um, Westerner does who's thinking of the immediate and right now and my own... Um, my own needs of the moment. Um, the Bible teaches us to think in terms of generations. Now, th- those are those are really helpful passages to point us to. Now, now you talked earlier about how catechizing 
really is just a way of teaching, but usually when we use the term today, particularly in Christian circles, we're talking about this question and answer format. So can you talk about that format specifically, what we think of as catechizing, as opposed to just discussing issues, uh, reading the Bible, all, all of which is very, very important, but why catechizing in this question and answer format? Well, the the question and answer format teaches us to ask the right questions and to find correct, succinct, pointed answers, um, which is an important um, life skill all by itself, to ask the right questions um, and to have at your fingertips and an accurate and succinct answer, which always can be added to, embellished, um, extended. Um, but to have that at the um, at the um, you know readily accessible um, for the rest of your life is a great advantage. Uh, when somebody says, "Well, what, what do you believe about God?" you know, and you have a couple of quick catechism answers right there that you can begin to elaborate on. You know, God is a spirit, and he's infinite and eternal, and he's unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. Um, you know, to be able to start there, or what is justification, to be able to start with that answer, uh, uh, who is the redeemer of God's elect, the, these, uh, and, that, and to have that um, readily accessible, succinct statement of who Jesus Christ is, um, that's a great advantage. And I think what else catechism does is it builds mental, you call them mental building blocks or filing cabinets. It creates the categories into which um, we are able to organize information for the rest of our lives. Um, we, um, you know, when we are just faced with a mass of information, take the Bible. The Bible is this mass of information or the doctrines of the Bible. You have all of this data, and if it's just coming at you shotgun approach, it's very difficult to retain. It's very difficult to make sense of it all. But what the catechism does is it gives us categories. It gives us um, categories like uh, what we believe about Scripture, what we believe about God, what we believe about humanity, about the human condition, the fall, about uh, redemption and the Redeemer, uh, about the Christian life, about um, the Ten Commandments and our ethical duties and prayer and our um, our um, doxological duties. Um, so it, 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 it gives us um, the building blocks, the filing cabinets with which to um, organize our Bible reading, Bible study, uh, study of doctrines for the rest of our lives. And I would think it would be self-evident that today we are, are sorely missing um, basic biblical and theological knowledge. In fact, I was just having a conversation about how the seminaries have had to go to introductory classes, say, in English Bible. If you, if you go back um, a century ago um, to, well, maybe, maybe a little more than a century ago, but a place like Princeton Seminary, it was expected that everybody came into the seminary already knowing Latin, never mind English Bible. Of course they would know English Bible. Of course they would know Latin before they were even admitted as a student. Uh, and today, our typical seminary student doesn't know the English Bible, doesn't know church history, doesn't know doctrine. 
Um, and you know, some of the surveys that have been done show an appalling lack of, of doctrinal awareness amongst professing evangelical believers. And I think one of the reasons for it is that we've neglected catechizing. We haven't given our children the basic questions, the basic answers, and the, uh, the building blocks of biblical theological knowledge. I, I think you know you're, you're absolutely onto something. It it does appear as if these uh, just basic elements of Bible knowledge and certainly Bible doctrine uh, seem to be missing, even even among people who were were brought up um, within the church. Now, now in your book, you specifically talk about the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and and why do you think that catechism in particular is so valuable? Uh, well, I think that. Just um, you know, off the cuff, as it were, it's stood the test of time. You know, it's it it uh, it has been the most widely used catechism in the English-speaking world. Um, it was um, typically used in previous centuries by Baptists, Congregationalists, as well as as Presbyterians. You know, other these different uh, denominational groups of have embraced the shorter catechism um, because it's uh, because it's so effective as a as a succinct ordered um, presentation of the Christian faith and um, you know something that I don't think has been often recognized is that the catechism is 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 organized with an evangelistic purpose in mind it is a presentation of the gospel. So you go from the doctrine of Scripture to God to man in the fall, um, and then redemption, and then the means of grace, and then the Christian life. So the whole thing is structured to lead children to Christ, and then instruct them in how to live the Christian life. Um, one of the questions that I think parents are most eager to learn is, how do I transmit my faith to my children? And for generations, one of the major tools that were used by Christian families, um, whether Presbyterian, Baptist, Congregationalists, was the Shorter Catechism. Uh, this, is, this was one of the major tools that they used, besides bringing them to church Sunday morning and Sunday night. They would conduct family worship in the home, and as a, as a part of that, they would catechize their children. And, in fact, other... I think the time, history will show that previous generations were more effective at transmitting their faith, a real living faith in Christ, to their children than we seem to be at the present. And in the beginning of the book, you know, I go through a number of famous families like, um, you know, Jonathan Edwards and his descendants, and uh, the Mather family and the Alexanders and Hodges of. Princeton and show that the covenant faithfulness of God can be seen in those families generation after generation, and they were catechizing families. That was just the norm back then. B.B. Uh, Warfield had the shorter catechism um, memorized by the end of his sixth year, which is remarkable to us today. He went on to be a great uh, theologian at Princeton Seminary the great defender of the faith in the late 19th and early 20th century, died in 1921. Uh, but, uh, you know, he gives a, the credit to his later theological development to, to a significant degree to having been catechized as a child. 
So that's that's the question. I think that 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 um, the shorter catechism helps resolve for us today is how do I pass on my faith to my children? I'm eager that they should be zealous disciples of Christ. Well, for generations, centuries, the, the method that people used was, you know, faithful attendance at church, uh, they, and then faithful uh, uh, family devotional life and catechism. So, what about parents who are listening to this and perhaps? Uh, catechism and family worship, as you've described it, ha- hasn't been a part of their their life up to this point. How how would you advise parents to begin this process? What what would you what would you say that should look like? What are some some good ways to to begin? And then and then as a second follow up to that, how can churches contribute and encourage families in this pursuit? Well, I'll rather shamelessly name another book that I put together called The Family Worship Book. Um, it's published by Christian Focus, in which you know I assembled resources because they just weren't available, and I wanted to put them all you know between two covers and make them accessible to families, such as psalms and hymns and and catechisms and prayers and uh, a format, and so put all that together in order to try to assist parents. But, you know, what I would say is don't um, don't make this more than it needs to be. Um, when we uh, gathered our five children when they were young, um, you know, I wasn't giving a theological lecture to them, and I wasn't doing Bible study with them. We, were ve- we had very simple gatherings of 15 minutes, and that was about it. And we would sing. Uh, a couple of hymns and psalms, and we would read uh, about a chapter, roughly, of the Bible, and then I would pray for them. I wanted them growing up hearing me pleading for their their souls, either leading to their conversion or haunting them into the grave. Um, And so we read through the Bible um, a couple of times, the New Testament multiple times during the years that they were growing up, Um, just by consistently meeting for about 15 minutes. Nothing exciting about it, particularly, um, and nothing difficult about it, particularly. We just would read about a chapter, sing a couple songs, and pray. So, And we would do it in the morning before they went to school. So, you know, 10, 15 minutes, and we had done what we were going to do. So that's what I would say. Just don't don't be intimidated by this. It's like any other discipline. You do manage to brush your teeth every day, I'm sure. <laughs> We all manage to do that. We find time to do it, uh, to bathe, groom. Uh, you know, We go through a whole process every morning, and it takes us, I don't know, somewhere between 15 minutes and half an hour to get ourselves ready for the day. Um, and this is a spiritual discipline that parallels our hygiene and grooming disciplines. We just set aside some time. It's, you know, it's no more than a couple of TV commercials, commercial breaks uh, in terms of time commitment. And build it around mealtime if that works. But find the time to do it in the morning, in the evening. Um, adjust for alterations in the family schedule, but just get consistent about every day, a little bit every day, 10, 15 minutes a day adds up. It's a lot. You know, if you're doing 15 minutes a day in a, uh, let's say, a six day week, and maybe on Sunday you, you go to church instead of doing family devotions, well, you know, that's, a, that's, that's what, an hour and a half? Six day week? Yeah, it does. Hour and a half. Yeah, an hour and a half every every week, fifty two weeks a year for eighteen years. That's a lot of time. 
given to prayer, Bible study, and and singing the singing of praises. What what about churches? How how can churches contribute to encouraging families to do just what you've outlined? Well, they, you can talk about it for one thing, and you can um, you can offer in your church publications uh, Psalm of the Month, Hymn of the Month. That's what we do every month. We've done it for years, and uh, at the Sunday night service, we we. Um, have informal singing while people are gathering for the 15 minutes before the service starts and we sing that uh, psalm or hymn of the month Um, we give rewards for children who can sing six months worth at a time and just try to encourage um, incorporating that psalm and hymn of the month in their family devotions so that the children over time are Becoming familiar with the rich devotional language of the Christian church. So we, in the family worship book, there are metrical psalms. So they're learning psalms. Um, and you'd be amazed at how many, how many psalms that they will know, uh, that they will recognize. For example, if, if I were to say to one of my children, God is our refuge and our strength, they would immediately know that Psalm 46. Or, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. They'll immediately know that Psalm 121. Not because they've studied the Bible in any depth, necessarily, but because they've been singing psalms. So, um, you know, to introduce them to the rich devotional language of classic Christian hymnody that's survived the centuries, and to introduce them to the devotional language of the psalms, that's a, that's a major... Um, accomplishment you know what I see the way I looked at it was you know I remember when we brought home our firstborn and held that little baby in my hands and um, and I said okay I have about 18 years here now what do I want to see done what do I at the end of the 18 years um, I don't want to be um, regretful I don't want to lament that I meant to do I meant to read the Bible with them I meant to sing with them and re, uh, pray with them and you know we just really just never got it done i didn't want that to happen so that's when we began to have a disciplined routine approach to having family devotions at home um and and um on a daily basis so that 18 years later i would be able to to know that they had been exposed to the whole scripture and to the devotional language of the Christian church, and they will have heard us praying uh, praying for their souls. And in, in conjunction with that, we catechized them and had them memorize the children's catechism and then followed that with the shorter catechism. The, the, the books that you've mentioned, the two that you, uh, in, in one case, edited and in another case, written, uh, um, are, are incredibly helpful resources, and I would commend them to our listeners. I'm wondering, though, as our last question, are there any other books that you'd recommend, especially on the topic of teaching children the basics of the faith? I really don't know of any that are really that helpful. I hate to say it. No, that's fine. That That's good to know. I think the main thing is to read the Bible to them. I do. And to take them to church. Um to have family devotions, catechize them, and take them to church, and put them under the ministry of the Word. 
where they're where again they're going to faith comes by hearing the word of Christ, right? Romans ten seventeen. Mm-hmm. We're sanctified Absolutely. by the truth, right? Absolutely. John seventeen seventeen. That's what Jesus says. So get them into church, have a fam the family pew, as previous generations called it, family sitting together under the ministry of the word. Hopefully, in your church, they actually do read the Bible, not just a verse or two, but you know, substantial portions of the Bible are read. Uh, the, the Bible then is being preached expositorily. Uh, working through books of the Bible. Hopefully what's being sung is full of Bible content um, so that you're singing classic hymns and, and metrical psalms. Um, you know, Hopefully there's a substantial time given to prayer and the prayers are filled with Scripture as well. Um, faith comes by hearing the Word of Christ. We're born again, uh, Peter says, 1 Peter 1, 23-25. We're born again by the living and abiding Word. We grow, 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. We grow by the pure milk of the Word. So um, how do we get the benefits of what Jesus did long ago and far away, 2,000 years ago, all the way across the oceans? How, how do we get the benefit of that? And the, the answer to that is, um, you know, it's through the ministry of the Word, sacraments, and prayer. Those are the God-ordained means by which we get the benefit of what Jesus did on the cross. So we want, we want our children under the ministry of the Word in public worship. We want them under the ministry of the Word in, in, in family worship as well. Exposure to the, uh, you know, getting constant exposure to the teaching of the Bible. So you want it read, preached, sung, and prayed, and, and the sacraments received. Reverend Johnson, thank you very much for your time today on this important topic. You're very welcome. You've been listening to Theology on the Go, a podcast of placefortruth.org. Place for Truth wishes to be thoughtful and accessible and is based on the conviction that the gains of the Protestant Reformation retain their potency and ought to be maintained for the health of Christ's Church. Just for listening, we'd like to equip you with free resources. Visit placefortruth.org to find a link to those resources. And listen next time to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.